0: Hi, this is Paul with 104 Lord. I'm a Bible teacher and truck driver. I teach people how to understand the Bible for themselves and how to have a powerful prayer life. Each episode is focused on helping you to understand the scriptures and grow your faith in the living God. Here's the million dollar question. Will you go to heaven when you die? Here's a quick test. Have you ever lied? stolen or use god's name in vain jesus said whosoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart if you have done these things god sees you as a lying thieving blasphemous adulterer at heart and the bible warns that one day god will punish you in a terrible place called hell but god is not willing that any should perish sinners broke god's law and Jesus paid their fine. This means that God can legally dismiss your case. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Then Jesus rose from the dead, defeating death. Today, repent and trust Jesus, and God will give you eternal life as a free gift. Then read the Bible daily and obey it, and God will never fail you. Hey everybody, it's Paul with Ten Four Lord, and this afternoon I am coming to you from San Angelo, Texas. we out here in West Texas, um, southwest of Dallas, not quite to uh, El Paso, but it is definitely hot. It's 103 degrees right now, and... Almost eight o'clock in the evening. And uh and it is hot. Dry, hot and dry. But in any case, uh um, wanted to go ahead. We've been uh, in our in our house church, we've been going through the book of Romans, and um wanted to do uh, a teaching on Romans chapter eight, and I'll pretty good chance I'm gonna follow that up with ones on chapter 9 and 10 and 11 but uh, the reason is that i've heard i've listened to a variety of bible teachers cover romans 8 and for the most part the ones that i've heard now i'm sure there's others out there that i haven't heard but the ones that i've heard they uh, they take a very calvinist bent with these chapters and uh and it's if you're familiar with the term Jesus," it's eisegesis. They're, they're inserting their theology into the text. When the text and the context of of these scriptures, what it's talking about in context, really doesn't have anything to do with the things that they're saying. So I felt like it would be a good thing to, to cover this so that... You can have a different perspective a non-calvinist viewpoint of this area of scripture so in any case um, so where we picked up sunday this past sunday was we started in romans chapter eight verse verse 28 because we left off there last the week before and uh Romans 8.28 says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And one thing you want to take very um, close notice of when you see the word called is how close you find the word purpose or service or labor or something like that, because Calling and election biblically have to do with um, purpose and service, not with called to get saved. Okay, so um, that's the biblical usage of election. Like Israel was elect; they were called by God. They had a purpose. That didn't mean you were you had eternal life just by being physically born a Jew. It the the nation of Israel had a calling, and that was to be. A light to the world. They were given the word of God, the oracles of God, the the scriptures, and uh, and they were to be set apart as like like a, a city on a hill. They were this beacon of light, or supposed to be that, in any case. Mm-hmm. And they um, they were the people through whom the Messiah would come. Okay, okay. so those are a couple of reasons for the nation of israel their their election their calling um and again being born a jew doesn't make doesn't mean you have eternal life in fact jesus and uh i believe the apostle john uh, made that point in the gospels that uh these these jews thought that they were they had everlasting life just because they were jews and they made that clearly it was not the case so moving on um and I'm gonna I'm gonna read some and then I'm gonna back up some because if in order to really understand this section of Romans 8, you have to understand it in the context of the previous verses in Romans 8. So I'm gonna read a little bit and then I'm gonna back up. Um, verse 29: For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn of many brethren. Okay, so Calvinists love to yank that verse out of its context and so what the what a calvinist likes to say about that verse or reformed theology if you if you prefer the new euphemism um what they like to say is that means foreknew from eternity past um predestinate to get saved but that's not what it says it says for whom he did foreknow he also did predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn of many brethren so the idea is is the believers are predestined those who are saved those who are born again are god's plan for us is to be conformed to the image of his son to look more and more like jesus and one day that's going to be complete Because the Lord's going to return, he's going to come in a cloud and the dead in Christ shall rise and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the clouds with them in the air to meet the Lord. So shall we ever be with with the Lord. And it says that we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. So um, in this life we are called to be more and more like Jesus and one day we're going to be a whole lot more like Jesus when he comes and we are transformed. That's the idea, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you, and, and and I'm when I read these these verses here, I'm going to show you why this is talking about something in the future, not being predestined from eternity past to get saved today. Okay. Um, so, moreover, he whom he did predestinate them he also called and whom he also whom he called them he justified and whom he justified them he also glorified so question for you have we been glorified yet no we have not yet been glorified that's coming in the future right now God he lives outside of space and time so God can stand at the finish line of glory and look back to us today in our walk as saved persons, as in our walk as believers, and predestinate us from salvation forward to glory and to be conformed to the image of his Son. And that is the thrust of Romans 8, is the future. It is our hope. It is glory. If you read Romans 8, that is what Paul is talking to the church in Rome about in this chapter. He's talking to them, about their blessed hope. He's talking to them about the future. He's talking about when, when Christ returns and we are glorified. And he's painting this picture that they are not to be overwhelmed by the troubles and, and trials and persecutions and and issues of this life or even death itself because of the glory that is coming for us, okay? That's the whole thrust of Romans 8. So, so it says, um, verse 31, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? So we, we know we have finished, you know, the, the, we've read the end of the book. We know we win. Okay. We know that we win and we're going to be glorified. So we're not worried about all the stuff of this present life he that was spared not his own son but delivered it for us all how shall he not with him also freely freely give us all things so and and i'm going to keep i'm going to move on through the verse 33 on in just a moment but first i want to back up because i want you to show i want to show you this and to show you i'm not making this up okay that when a calvinist reads this that you know um romans eight twenty nine and 30 and they try to insert calvinism in there i'll show you very clearly how they are ignoring the context when they do that okay so romans 8 let's start in verse 17 well let's start in verse 16 the spirit itself the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are children of god and if children then heirs heirs of god and joint heirs with christ okay hold on what is it talking about heirs heirs of god and joint heirs with christ if so be that we suffer with him that we may be what glorified together for verse 18 for i reckon that the sufferings of this present time so he's talking about hey what's going on now you can't even compare it to what's coming for us okay the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Okay? So, talking about future, talking about glory. Uh, Verse 19, For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the the sons of God. For the creature, that's man, mankind, was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself, mankind, shall also be delivered from the bondage of corruption to the glorious liberty of children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. So it's bad for everybody, really, pretty much, right? All of mankind is suffering in this fallen world. It's just, it's fallen, it's evil, it's wicked, it's painful. There's sorrow and pain, and it's just a really, you know, n- not a great place, not a great world to be in, right? It's not all sunshine and rainbows, not, not by a long shot. Um, and so, you know, even not just, not only is it hard for us who are saved and are going through things, but it's hard for the unbelievers too, right? So, verse 23, and not only they, the world, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. So the adoption, the the full fulfillment of the adoption is when Christ returns. We are raised to him in glory. We're transformed. That is when the full fulfillment of the adoption happens. Now, right now we have the spirit of adoption. But the spirit of adoption is not the adoption. It is not the full, conclusive fulfillment of the adoption, right? It's like the down payment. You know, the it's a the Bible refers to it as a token of our salvation, right? It's 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 our our seal. You know, the, the Bible says in in uh, he, in Ephesians that we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Promise of what? Promise of coming glory, right? So. Yeah, it says where we, wherewith we are sealed unto the day of redemption, right? The day of redemption, the, the the adoption, that's the when our bodies, it says in verse 23, the redemption of our body. So our body is going to be transformed. It's going to be, we're going to get new bodies that don't get sick, that don't have pain, that don't die, that don't sin. That, you know, we're going to get bodies that no longer have the, the law of sin and death written in them that was inherited from Adam. We're going to get new glorified bodies and it's going to be awesome. That's what we're looking towards. So again, the thrust of Romans 8, the majority of what Romans 8 is about, certainly the latter half of it, it's talking about the hope of our future glory, of the, the, the adoption of our body, our transformation. It's believers now looking forward it's not god in eternity past deciding okay i'm going to save this and this one this one and this one and the vast majority of people i'm going to throw in hell forever without ever letting them have a chance of believing the gospel that's so opposite of the gospel of jesus christ bible is clear that god would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth Scripture says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everyone saved, okay? Now, is everyone going to be saved? No. Why? Because God does not force salvation on anyone, okay? That that. the Bible says, whosoever will, right? Whosoever, Jesus, it says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So, you have a choice, right? Over and over again, the Bible says, choose, choose, choose. And and God even encourages you, choose life, right? Um, you know, the Bible says that God has no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked, but rather that he should repent. God wants people to repent. But God has given man the ability to choose so that if you're with God, it's because you want to be with God, not because he made you believe and made you be with him like a robot. If God wanted robots, he would have made robots. But he made us and gave us the gospel, gave us a choice between life or death and encouraged us to choose life. So again, the Calvinist view is not supported by scripture and particularly not in what we're reading here in romans 8 because again this is not talking about something from eternity past and god no you know foreknowing from eternity past to the point where you getting saved no it's from the point of you getting saved god giving you the destination as a saved person he, he set your spiritual gps setting for glory right that's the address you're headed to as a believer is glory that's where we are headed to as believers is glory is is deliverance from these bodies of, of sin and death to glorify bodies that are immortal and that have no sin in them right okay so let's move on to let's see verse 24 for we are saved by hope again he's talking about the hope and hope What hope is, it's believing God for what he has promised in the future, okay? And how do I know that? Well, you're about to see. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? Right? It's something that God has promised, but that isn't available yet. It's coming, right? Verse 25, but if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it, right? Right? So that is what he... I know I'm I'm just, you know, beating a dead horse here, but I'm really trying to drive this across that what Paul is talking to the church in Rome at this, this part of Romans about is the hope. It's the future. It's the future of the believer, okay? That is what this part of Romans is about. Likewise, the Spirit also helped with our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit also... The Spirit in maketh, itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knows what, knows, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good for good to them that love God who are the calling to his purpose. Again, purpose. Remember, calling and election refer to purpose and service. Okay, that's what they refer to in the Bible. And no, I, I love that it says we know that all things work together for good. Because it's it, what is the context? He's talking about all this groaning and all this pain in the world and everything. But it says that even the bad things, right? It doesn't say that all things are good, but all things work together for your good. Even the painful things, even terrible things that happen to you. It's not that God wanted those things to happen, right? Because we live in a fallen world, right? And and people do evil things that God hates, right? You know, I've been through some some serious personal tragedy in my life, and God didn't cause those things, but he can use those things for my benefit. So really, if you're a child of God, how can you lose? I mean, really. How can you lose? You can't lose. Because God even uses the bad things, the painful things, the, you even uses your mistakes and your failures. He can even use those. He's so powerful and so wise that, you know, the, He takes the pains and the, the mistakes and the the just the, the things that we wish never happened in our lives. He looks at that and says, I can use that. I mean, look at... Look at Joseph when his brother sold him into slavery, right? And, and all the things he went through in the prison. Look at David. I mean, that is a clear-cut case of not, not the will of God when David sinned with Bathsheba, committed adultery, and then had her husband murdered to cover it up. God was not pleased with that. That was that was That was evil. That was wicked when David did that. God was very angry at that, right? And God said that that David has given the Lord's enemies cause to blaspheme the Lord because of that. So God was very upset with that. That it was not at all God's will. And yet God used used the the situation because although that that first son that that Bathsheba conceived died shortly after birth, the next son was Solomon. Okay? Well... (laughs) David had other wives, and David's heir did not have to be born from Bathsheba. The the heir could have come through one of David's other wives, but God even used that. God gave Solomon, the Lord's anointed, the wisest man in the world, right? the, The man who wrote the majority of the Proverbs, who wrote Ecclesiastes, who wrote the Song of Solomon. He came through Bathsheba. I mean, that's just amazing. So when you really think about it, if you're a child of God, whatever happens, you cannot lose. That one way or another, God is going to use that for your benefit, right? It doesn't mean God wants those bad things to happen. It means God can use them to do you good, right? So, And that's really the thrust of Romans 8. It's talking about the hope and it's saying look we've got this great hope we win in the end we read we've we've seen the the end of the movie we win and even while we're here dealing with all these things even these these difficulties that we're going through god is going to use them for our good okay and so let's uh i, I said i would pick up and continue the rest of uh, Romans 8 so let's go down to verse 33 that's where we left off who shall say anything to the charge of god's elect again what does elect mean what does elect refer to purpose and service right as god's children on this earth we have a purpose we have a service and that's to be light unto the world we are to be the embodiment of the word of god as paul wrote living epistles known and read of all men we are to be that these vessels of light in a dark world so that when people see us, they see the word of God being lived out, right? So that's our purpose. That's our service as children of God. So who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? And the way that King James punctuates it, they make this next part a sentence. I really believe it's a rhetorical device that's supposed to be a question, like a rhetorical question. So it says, who shall lay anything to God, the charge of God's elect? It, it says, it is God that justifieth." I believe that is actually supposed to be read God because the word it is, is italics. It's italicized in King James. That means they're telling you that they added the words it is, which I'm glad that they do that. Um, so it's saying God that justifieth." is he going to lay a charge? The one who's justifying you, is he the one that's going to, I mean, he really, he's the only one that could, he's the, the judge of all the world. He's the the righteous, the one true righteous judge, if the only one who can really charge you anything, really, is God, well, guess what? He's the one justifying you, right? Who is he that condemneth? Christ that died? Is Christ who died for you? Is he is he condemning you? Of course not, right? Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also make, also make an intercession for us. Is Jesus going to condemn you? Man, he's at the right hand of the throne of God praying for you right now. Right? He's on your side. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Is tribulation gonna do it? No. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. Peril? No. Sword? No. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay. And all these things. So he's answering the question. So all of these are questions up until the quote from from Psalms. It's asking questions. And then he, he gives a, a a quote from Psalms as if to say that that's what's happening. But then verse 37, he answers those questions. Nay, no, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of god which is in christ jesus our lord so he's saying nothing not even death can separate you from jesus okay i mean wow i mean you talk about more than a conqueror death can't even stop you death can't even separate you from jesus it's just it's 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 you know it's like taking a nap until he comes back, right? It's it's a it's a temporary speed bump at the most. Death is, isn't even an obstacle between you and Jesus, between you and glory with God through Jesus Christ. So that is to me that is just so, it, Romans. It's such a it's such a motivational, encouraging chapter. It's so powerful. So just wanted to share those things with y'all and uh like i said i'll I'll probably doing teachings on uh chapters 9 10 11 um again those those are also chapters that calvinists love to cherry pick verses and pull them out of their context and and uh the the surrounding verses and chapters where they're written and what they're actually talking about and they like to insert their ideology their theology into that instead of Instead of pulling, drawing out meaning from the text, they insert their own um, belief system into the text. So uh, I do plan to, uh, Lord willing, I do plan to do teachings on those chapters so that when you read those, you may be able to understand them clearly and understand why they do not support Calvinism. So God bless y'all. Grace and peace to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And we'll talk to you later. Hi, this is Paul with 104 Lord, and tonight I'm in Calvert City, Kentucky. And tonight I'm going to tell you about how God answered my seven-point prayer. That was a prayer that had seven specific details, and I'm going to tell you about how God answered every single one of them. So, first of all, I'd like to give you some backstory. Now, this was many years ago. This was in the early 90s. And uh, I had basically blown up my life, destroyed my life by being a prodigal son, and uh, living. You know, even though I was a believer, I I started being disobedient to the Lord, and you know the Bible says that the Lord chastens those He loves, and that I found to be the case. So, in very short order, I lost everything, and even though I had two, I I lost my job, but ended up I ended up getting two jobs but still was in, in dire straits financially and was homeless for a while. So I lived in a storage unit. I lived in a tent. I lived in my car and, you know, I'd been in the, in the service and in the infantry and so I was used to roughing it, I guess you'd say. But after a while, the heat and the mosquitoes of South Louisiana kind of got to me. So I finally decided to go ahead and pray. You know, it's like when the When the prodigal son came to himself and realized, hey, he remembered his father, right? Remember how good his father is. Um, So I decided to pray. And thank God that he had put someone in my life before that time in my life, before those those events that had taught me how to pray effectually. And so what I prayed for was not, you know, it, it may sound... Kind of crazy to be this specific, but it's just, just exactly what I needed for my situation. And I didn't pray for a mansion. I didn't pray for, you know, uh, a house in Beverly Hills. I just prayed for what I needed. But even still, it was strikingly specific. So uh, I prayed for an apartment for about $200 a month rent. And even around 1992, that was $200 a month rent was ridiculously low. That people would laugh at you if you said that. Uh, So, but about because but $200 a month was all I could afford at the time. Um, I also prayed that the utilities would be included in that $200 a month rent. Okay, that there would be no deposit because I didn't have any money. That there would be no lease to sign. Because when I' had lost my job before um, and I didn't have any income, I had broken a lease and I didn't like doing that. I didn't want to sign a lease. Um, so there was no, that I prayed that there would be no lease to sign. Uh, I prayed that it would be furnished and um, that it'd be that I would be surrounded by Christians. I wanted to be surrounded by God's people because you know I was going through a rough time, and I knew I needed fellowship, I needed to be around other Christian believers be around the family of god and uh number seven i didn't have again i didn't have any money and so i prayed that the lord would have someone pay my first month's rent for me well after i prayed the all and and you know i know that sounds kind of crazy to to be that specific but that's exactly what i needed and so once i spelled out all the details of this prayer to god then I just thanked him in advance, you know, and I figured God is God and he's promised to supply what I need. And so if God had to create it out of nothing, like, you know, he created the universe out of nothing that he could do it, you know, because God, he fulfills his promises. And so I thanked him for in an advance and that's an important key to keep in mind. Thanked him for in advance. I said, father, I thank you that your answer is is coming that it's on the way and uh and then i went about my business and during the week whenever i thought about the situation i just kept thanking the father that his answer was coming well that weekend i went to this church that i had been visiting and the lord impressed upon me that if i went and talked to this one individual that i would have a place to stay and i didn't like telling people about my situation. And it wasn't because it was a pride thing. It was, you know, not that I'm not prideful. That's definitely not the case. But uh, in this situation, it just, I wanted God's answer because what I had found that a lot of times when it's man's answer, man has his little strings attached and, uh, and I wanted God's answer. So I didn't make a habit of talking to people about my situation, but I, you know, I really felt like the Lord had impressed upon me to go talk to this one guy. So I went and sat near him before church, the, the service started and we struck up a conversation. And, uh, in the process of that conversation, he asked me, so where are you staying? I said, well, I'm sleeping in my car. He said, oh man, come on over to my place. You can sleep on my couch tonight. We'll go down and talk to the manager of the place tomorrow. And, uh, I know him and, and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see about getting you a place. So I said, great. So I went over to his place and slept on his couch and he told me about the apartments. It was $205 a month rent. Remember I said around $200 a month rent. Utilities included in the $200 a month rent. No deposit. No lease to sign. Furnished. And surrounded by Christians. It was in a christian seminary a bible college where they were renting out dorm rooms in the bible college as apartments to non-students so i would be surrounded by people who were christians and studying the word of god and number seven the the guy that i had met in church his name was art and he had gotten saved in prison and he had this godly gruffness about him He, he i remember he said You know, I figured the Lord, he had my back in prison. I got his back, you know, so I love that about art. And he said, you know what, man, I'm a month ahead on my rent. I'm going to pay your first month's rent for you. And I was floored. And again, I hadn't told him my prayer. God answered every single detail of that prayer, y'all. I just went out in the hallway and just cried my eyes out. Because, I mean, look at what God did for me. You know? I mean, talk about the, the prodigal son and the forgiving father. And, and that's something I want to emphasize here. Is that this didn't happen because I was Johnny Christian. This didn't happen because I was so such a great believer and such a great Christian. No, this was in spite of my stupidity. And because not because I was good, but because God is good. And God's goodness is greater than my badness. Thank God. Right? And so, that leads me right into the seven keys I want to talk about tonight. The seven keys to powerful prayer. And the first one I want to talk about that leads right into this is, first thing I have to understand is, I'm not good. I'm bad. That's the first thing i got to understand. And that some people might say, well, Paul, why don't you mention that God is good first off? Okay, because here's why. Because most people, whether they're church-going people or people who believe in God but aren't necessarily religious, they just have this kind of, you know, vague idea of God or whatever, most people would ag- agree with the the, uh, the premise that God is good. But the where they have a problem is is accepting that they're not. That's That's where they really have a problem because most people think of themselves as good people. And when you look at the Bible, the people that God worked with the most were the people who that, that saw how unworthy they were. Remember the man, the two men that prayed that Jesus talked about. And there was two men that were praying and the one was uh, he was a Pharisee and he was bragging on himself to God, God, I thank you i'm I'm not like other men you know I fast three times a week and I do all this stuff and and I'm not like other men like this this publican over here, this tax collector and the the publican was standing in the back, wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat upon his chest and said, "Have mercy on me, O Lord, a sinner." And Jesus said that the latter went away justified rather than the first. And that is so important. It's so important. We have to understand when you approach God, you've got to know you're not good. You're bad. Okay? We, we, we live in this flesh. And anything that's good in me is only because of God's mercy and God's grace. And it's nothing of myself. Paul the apostle Paul said that I am the least of all the all the of all Christians. He said I'm the least of all saints. He said he's the least of all apostles. He said I'm the chief of sinners. Right? The apostle Paul said I'm nothing. Okay? And so that's what you got to understand when you approach God is you don't deserve anything from God there there's there's God doesn't owe you anything he doesn't owe me anything the only thing we deserve is his justice and his judgment. that's what we deserve we deserve we deserve death and hell that's what we deserve okay so don't approach God with this haughty i'm so i'm so together i I've got so much faith and I'm such a good person you, the first thing you got to do is humble yourself before God. And say, God, I'm a mess. You know, I blow it more times than I even realize. Have mercy on me, O Lord. See, I understood that. And, and, and God still shows me that on a regular basis. That I'm nothing without God. And I have nothing. And I can do nothing without God. And I don't get anything from God because I deserve it. Everything I get from God is because he is good. So that's point number 2. God is good. Okay? God is good. Number 3, God's goodness is greater than my badness. When you look at the prodigal son and you see everything he did and and how he wa- he took, he insulted his father by asking for his his inheritance while the father was still alive, which in that culture, it's basic, it's almost like saying you wish your father was dead. It was a huge slap in the face to his father. And he went out and he partied and he wasted his money and he found himself hungry and starving and, and desolate. And when he came, when he re- realized, what am I doing? And he went back to his father, humble, he didn't even expect to be to be treated like a son he was ready to be a servant but look at how great the father's response was he ran to him and embraced him you know what that kid smelled like he smelled like pigs that he'd been working with pigs you know how you ever smell pigs like in on a farm they don't smell good he embraced his son he kissed his neck his filthy nasty pig smelling neck he kissed his neck and he embraced him and before his son could even finish get out the words father i am i have sinned against god and before you and no longer to be called your son before he could even get to the part about being a servant the father said to his servants let's make a feast feast bring the best robe and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. For my son was dead and is alive again. God's goodness is so much greater than our badness. And the more we just let him win with his goodness, the more we'll stop stop fighting against him. So that's number three, God's grace, God's goodness is greater than than my badness. Number four, if you have a specific need, pray a specific prayer. God is not afraid of your requests. He's God, okay? If it's a legitimate need and it doesn't exist, God can make it out of nothing. He's done that already, okay? Nothing is hard for God. So if you have a specific need, then pray a specific prayer. There's some things I don't care about the specifics on, okay? There's some things like when I, it may sound strange, but when I prayed for a wife, I didn't pray any specifics. I'm just like, Lord, I trust you. You know, you'll send the right woman for me. Because I I wasn't concerned about what her hair color was or what color her eyes were or anything like that. I wanted the right woman that God knew was right for me with with those inner qualities that God knew that I needed to have in my life. And I knew <clears throat> that he loves me enough that he knows what's best for me and uh, and what's going to make me happy. And so I just left the details up uh, up to him, okay? And he sent me a wonderful wife. That's exactly the woman that I needed to have as my wife. And her name is Melissa. And... But you know, if there's something that <clears throat> that hey, there's some some there are some details involved here, then pray a detailed prayer. God's not afraid of it, okay? It's not a problem for him. <clears throat> Number 5. God promises to supply your need, not your greed. Okay? And that's where the the so-called prosperity gospel people go go off. That's where they go astray. Because the Bible says that if you have food and clothing, that you should be content, right? Um, Jesus said that a man's life does not consist of the things that he possesses, right? So, God has promised to supply your need, and He will supply your need. But He hasn't promised to supply your greed, okay? If you need a car, you need a car, right? You, You don't need... $100,000 hundred thousand dollar Lamborghini but you need a car if you need if you need transportation right <clears throat> but god has promised and i've seen god do this over and over and over again i've seen god give me cars i've seen god give me clothes i the the stories i could tell you and, and i will on this podcast i want to i will give you more of these these testimonies of things that i've got seen God do that will absolutely make your jaw hit the floor. Okay. But I've seen God provide for my every need over and over again, but don't, don't think God is, is there to be your, um, you know, God's not Tony Robbins. Okay. He's, he's, he's not concerned about making you rich. That's not his goal not in this life anyway. God is God's concern is your eternal life that that you will be with him in glory which is going to make it, the, all the riches in the the abundance of this life seem like nothing, okay? So God's far more interested in that. And he's in, he's concerned with your spiritual growth and and your progress in, in learning to walk with him. Okay, and you're in growing your character, you're in and, and becoming more like him. That's what God's interested in, primarily. Does he care about your needs? Absolutely, he does. And you you can trust him. So, number six, <clears throat> thank God in advance and keep thanking him until it comes. Once you prayer that prayer. If you believe it then tell him so. Give start thanking him before you see it. It's not believing is it's not seeing is believing, it's believing is seeing. Thank God before you see it. Thank him that it's on the way. And here's a key. As you go through your week, whenever you think about that situation, instead of letting your mind get into worry and doubt, just keep praising him and thanking him. Father, I thank you it's on the way father i thank you it's on the way whenever you think about it just keep thanking god that it's on the way and then when it comes so important point number seven remember to give god the glory and tell others what he's done what a shame it would be if you didn't pay that forward what a shame it would be if god did all that for you and you never told anybody about it right I mean, you give a a good Uber driver five stars, right? (laughs) So when God does something amazing for you, make sure that you give him glory. Make sure that you tell other people about it. Remember the, the ten lepers that were cleansed that Jesus healed? And there are only two of them that turned around and praised God and gave thanks, right? And Jesus marveled at that. So be like the two, not like the other eight. Make sure you, you, you thank God for what he does for you. And make sure you tell other people so that they could know that God is real, that God is good, and that he loves you. My friends, God bless you. Grace and peace to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Be sure to subscribe so that I can continue to encourage your faith. And help you to understand the Holy Word of God. Good night. Thanks for listening to 10 for Lord. And please remember the three S's. Subscribe, share, and support. Subscribe to the podcast. Share it on Facebook in an email and a text message link to a friend. And, uh, and if this podcast is a blessing to you. And something that you're really getting a lot out of. Then... Uh, Go ahead and support the channel if you'd like to by clicking on the support button. Thanks again. God bless. Grace and peace to you in the name of Jesus Christ.